From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 101. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Michael Hurley. And Federico Vitici. Ciao, Federico. Buonasera, Mike. Come stai? Oh, so, so fancy. I just asked you, how are you? I know, well, I don't know. All I know is that it <laughs> sounds nice. Just, just say bene. Bene. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Stephen, you can have the follow-up back this week. That's good, because the first piece of follow-up is about how you are wrong. Um, mm. you, you made a comment uh, that you can make espresso in your AeroPress, which, if you're not a coffee drinker, just hit the 30-second skip for like six times. Um, Jordan wrote in, uh, to say to meet the minimum pressure requirement for an Italian espresso, which is 116 psi, which seems bonkers to me, you would need to put 460 pounds on the AeroPress plunger. So I would say, in theory, you could do it, but you would I break think would the shatter. AeroPress trying to trying to make yeah. it happen. I mean, so I, mean, I will concede that uh, Mike was not, not right about espresso. See, the the thing is, you. You don't want to say you were wrong. You're just gonna say you were not right. That, that's a subtle difference. But yeah, I prefer was not right than mm-hmm. wrong. I bet you do. Yeah, mm. I prefer was not right because as well that keeps it in the branding. You know, Mike mm. and right. Just sometimes what's in the middle differs. Mm-hmm. Speaking know? of yeah. branding, just a quick aside from the follow up. So uh, anyway, you were not right about the coffee. But speaking of branding. Uh, I'm writing my review and there was a section where I needed to have an example of an app and Mike was kind enough to let me use the 123 branding. Yeah, we are we are uh, co-branding a brand new creation. Mm-hmm. Co-branding, mm-hmm. a co-creation uh, because we're co-creators of an example, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mike. So they're gonna, they're, the 123 family of applications is growing. Um, we'll, we'll expand yeah. onto new horizons. <laughs> new horizons, <laughs> uh, and the, for the introduction of the new app in the one, two, three family will be appearing sometime in September. Mm-hmm. That's right. Probably before Note Taker is released. I'm afraid. <laughs> Working yeah. hard, but before we move on, just to put the amount of weight on the AirPress plunger into context that you know normal people could um, relate to, it's twelve iMac G3s. Just. <sighs> uh, I don't think the AirPress no would one. hold up to that. More people can relate to just the flat-out 460 pounds of pressure Shh. than 12 iMac G3s. Also, that's not even your entire collection. No, I have more than that. Um, I, well, I wouldn't use uh, Blue Dalmatian for that. You don't want that anywhere near your coffee. Up next, we talked about rich link previews in the iOS 10 messages application. Basically, if I sent Mike a text with a tweet on it, like the tweet would kind of be loaded in a little preview. Or if you send a Mac Stories link, the Mac Stories logo would be there. Uh, and we talked about, you know, what sort of data load that would require. Why is messages still like reloading if you peek and pop, then actually open it in Safari? And we had uh, some anonymous feedback um, that I thought was interesting. That the preview, that little preview window, is using open graph tags, which are basically meta tags mm-hmm. on the page that specify the URL, image, title, description, uh, etc. You see these used in other places. So if you put in, again, we we'll use Mac Stories as an example. If you paste in a Mac Stories link to Facebook or Slack, the Mac Stories artwork 
loads for you automatically. That's that's an open graph tag pointing to a, a you know a PNG on Federico's server somewhere saying, hey, this is what the logo is, mm-hmm. this is the title, etc. And it seems that iMessage is using this to build these little previews. Mm. Um, and, and where the feedback gets a little stranger, and I'm not quite sure how this works in Federico, I'm curious if you do, is that this still requires iMessage to download the page, then parse for the tags, and then show you the preview. So if you text somebody a link and they see the preview and they, they peek and pop to get a preview and they push through to open it in Safari, you've loaded the page potentially three times. Doesn't seem mm-hmm. super efficient to me. Um, Federico, have you been able to kind of like see what's going on here in, in your time with the betas? So I've been I've been actually researching this since last year because Apple launched uh, with iOS 9 with universal links and, and spotlight search. They... I had a session and documentation for developers on how to add web markup to uh, to links and to you know search results. And basically, Apple is uh, adopting a few technologies here. It's not just Open Graph. Open Graph is used for like featured images, uh, titles, descriptions, but also they're supporting Schema.org, which is used for like structured semantic results, such as like mm-hmm. restaurant reservations and hotel rooms, that kind of stuff. They're also supporting Facebook and Twitter uh, cards, which are kind of based on a subset of Open, uh, open Graph tags. Uh, my understanding is Apple was using Open Graph and Schema.org for uh, Spotlight and last year for uh, Rich Link Previews in Notes. And this year, they're also adopting Open Graph in iMessage. There's an inconsistency between uh, the implementation in iMessage and Notes in the current beta of, of iOS 10. Uh, so in, basically, in iMessage, you get richer results. For example, when you paste a link to a tweet in iMessage in the beta 3, uh, not only do you get the text of the tweet, but you also get like a large uh, image preview of any uh, image attachments to the tweet. You do not get the image attachment in notes. Um, my theory is that you don't need to, you don't, you're not required as an app to go fetch the entire HTML of the web page, but you can just query the link for tags. So it's not like you're downloading a five megabyte HTML page. You're just uh, querying for those tags and assembling the information from those tags. So you can just fetch the title, fetch the featured image and fetch, say, the description, for example, Uh, which is still a data, you know, uh, you're, you're still consuming data. So that's why maybe you're, you're required to accept uh, the preview. I, don't under, I currently don't understand, and this is why I have a note in my, in my draft, I don't understand if you need to confirm that you want to load previews the first time, and then after the first time, it's on by default. I don't understand if there's any way to disable them after the first time, and I don't understand if actually it's a bug and you need to confirm every time. So it's still, uh, the behavior is changing. It was different in beta 1, different in beta 2, different in beta 3. So it's still changing. It seems like there's no setting to say, I always want to load those previews, or let me decide, let the recipient decide, I feel like there's going to be some clarification before the GM, at least that's what I hope. Uh, if Apple wants to add an extra confirmation step, I feel like a better solution would be to let the, the recipient uh, load the preview the first time, and then after that, previews are always going to be on by default. That seems like a reasonable way to implement this, uh, because you know that you're going to load, I don't know, like 500 kilobytes of featured image previews in your mm-hmm. iMessage conversation on cellular data. Uh, 
that could be. Uh, but I, I don't think you're 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 required to download an entire web page every time. That would be you know that would be kind of silly. So if anyone has any more details or you know I couldn't find any documentation from Apple on this. So if you have links, send us an email. Stephen will include it in the follow up. My feeling is like if you have to press a button to load a preview every time it kind of negates the point of having the preview in the first place like yeah but you can see how apple wants you to confirm that you want to consume a little more data to load previews i know it's not even a lot of data but i mean when you're downloading like let's say that i have a featured image and it's a one megabyte jpeg jpeg for a story on, on the website i can imagine why apple wants you to confirm that you know because uh, maybe people are gonna share a lot of links and they're gonna you know end up with 10 megabytes extra every day in iMessage that add up over you know a month of usage i'm not sure how messenger for example or whatsapp handle this maybe they do some like server-side optimization to uh reduce the size of the images that they load uh in, in rich link previews maybe could be i don't know yeah the, a little bit of a mystery um, I too tried looking in the documentation on the developer website, and there's just nothing, nothing there yet, which is not super uncommon. I think sometimes people hear us say that, and they're surprised that not every single thing is documented. And the reality is, Apple's documentation really focuses on where developers interact with the system, and not necessarily what the system is doing internally. It's more, much more about APIs and and endpoints and that sort of thing, as opposed to this is what our first-party app is doing behind the scenes. That sort of stuff they really just don't share very often. The last bit of follow-up is from uh, our friend and yours, Rob Lewis, that the new tvOS beta allows you to connect a PlayStation controller. Um, Mike, I'm going to let you you talk about this. This is so strange. Uh, this goes to, I put a link in the show notes to a Reddit thread that kind of explains what's going on here. If you put a PlayStation controller into pairing mode, so Bluetooth pairing mode, as you would to connect it to a, another, like PlayStation or to a another device like a Mac or something, because you can do that with PlayStation controllers. Um, it, if you go to settings and go to the pairing mode on tvOS, it shows up as wireless controller. Um, it doesn't seem like as of right now it is completely implemented um for example there is no button that maps to the menu button in tvos to allow you to navigate back through menus and stuff but it's working and i feel like it can't be an accident because it hasn't worked before I don't know. Like you look, I don't really understand the the way this stuff is implemented enough. I would say, but like it seems strange that it would just like magically start to work now. Um, <laughs> I hope that this is something that Apple is looking to do. My feeling is, if Apple are not willing to make their own first party controller, they should support everything in the sense of have their own program that you can go through, like the MFI program, but also to allow support for other bluetooth controllers like the xbox controller and the playstation controllers like if apple doesn't want to make something great that's first party let me use my other great uh, games controllers to play games on the apple tv as long as they have enough buttons for it right like you set like a minimum threshold or maybe they just bake in support for playstation 4 or xbox controllers and go with mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. i mean at this point Apple is clearly not taking games seriously on tvOS. Uh, I mean, we, we 
we knew this was going to happen. Apple is not, you know, by any standard, a gaming company. They just believe in the App Store and they're saying, you know, everything's fine on the App Store. You can have free games in our purchases and, you know, it's fine. They're not treating the TVOS App Store as something more like the Nintendo eShop or the PSN or Xbox Live, uh, which is fine, a bit disappointing maybe, but not surprising. So at this point, anything that makes the experience better works for me. I mean, give us anything, really. Uh, when I have support for PlayStation and Xbox One controller, it's fine. You know, uh, you, Apple is not doing any first-party controller, and obviously the PlayStation and the Xbox Ones are m- much better options than what you get from the from the from the Apple Store, you know, even the the Stratos controller is fine, but it's no PlayStation, it's not DualShock, right? So if you want to have basic support for for those controllers, I mean, all right, give us support for those because they're better. All right, this week's episode is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile, simply indispensable. I want you to imagine a world in which you no longer need to type the same text, the same phone number, the same address, the same marketing copy, the same driving directions, anything that you type regularly. Imagine not having to sit and write it all out every time. Imagine just hitting a couple of keystrokes and all of a sudden everything is beautifully filled out for you. This is the magic of a life with Text Expander. You can store anything you want in a snippet. You can put text in there. You can put images in there. You can have fill-in-the-blank snippets. So you can have, say, a couple of paragraphs with a few elements that you want to choose, either with you can type in blank into blank fields. You can select from drop-downs. You can set all of this stuff up in Text Expander, and you'll be saving yourself tons of time every single day. Day. One of my favorite things in Text Expander is in the preferences, you can find out just how much time you have saved uh, in your life. So I'm going to bring that up right now. They have a great statistics view. Um, I have expanded on my Mac 11,119 snippets, which has saved me uh, 17.2 hours of my life with not having to type stuff. I am happy about that statistic. Think of how many movies I could watch in those 17 hours. That's what Text Expander has allowed me to do. And now there is a sharing ability in Text Expander. You can share groups of snippets of others. You can expand your common knowledge within your team or group and keep everyone on the same page. Keep everything current. If something's changed in a piece of marketing copy that's being sent out, everyone's going to get it because it will be synced with everyone. Text Expander now includes apps for Mac, iPhone, iPad, and Windows which is currently in beta, you'll have all of your snippets on all of your devices all the time. Subscriptions start at $40 per year and include all the apps and the Text Expander sharing service as well, with discounts for registered Text Expander users. Team subscriptions are now also available and include organization focus snippet and team management, detailed access control, consolidated billing, and more. Boost your productivity and learn more at smilesoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Text Expander from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Stephen, you have mentioned on a previous episode that you had joined the multi-pad lifestyle and picked up a 9.7 inch iPad Pro <laughs> to go along in the conjunction with your 12.9 inch iPad Pro. Uh, I predicted that you would keep them both but I think you're about to say that hashtag Mike was not right about this as well today. <laughs> it is a, another instance of Mike was not right. I told you that I was not going to stay in the multi-pad lifestyle, that it was a a mere season of experimentation. <clears throat> so 
yeah, so I stuck with the 9.7. And I think you have a bunch of questions for me that in the document all seem very charged and angry even. But um, in short, uh, before we get to those questions, I, uh, I only really spent time with the 9.7 because I was setting one up for a uh, like a consulting client and then they ended up leaving town. And so I was stuck with their iPad, uh, for a little while. And, um, it's, it's nice. And using it and the 12.9 side by side, you really can see the differences. And, uh, just last night I was at the Apple store, um, and, uh, sat down at the 12.9 inch again, just to like make sure I hadn't made a mistake. And, um, there's a lot to like about the 12.9. I like both. Um, I think I just like the 9.7 a little bit more. So what is your current situation then? Your own personal iPad ownership situation? It is a 9.7 Pro. Okay, so you have bought one. I sold the 12.9 and bought my own 9.7 Pro. Okay. So I'm very confused about all of this. because The 12.9-inch iPad changed your opinions about working with the iPad. You have had 9.7-inch iPads forever. Yeah. 12.9 showed you that there was work that you could do, writing that you could do on the iPad. But -hmm. now you've gone down a size. Are you still going to work on the iPad? I I am. So to to revisit the the discussion from, I guess, almost a year ago, it's hard to believe the 12.9 has been out, you know, nine months. Um, I really feel like that the big iPad Pro for the very first time, unlocked the iPad from a productivity perspective. And, um, you know, thinking back on early days of this show and of the prompt, Federico doing his job on an iPad mini now seems completely bonkers to me (laughs) Um, because the bigger screen did uh, sort of open me up to that world for the first time. Um, And that's all still true. I still am working on the 9.7. I'm still doing the same work I was doing on the 12.9, which is very heavily focused on my writing. A little bit of relay administrative stuff, but mostly writing. But what what came to be my overall feeling about the 12.9 is that the size and, and the weight made me less likely to carry it around. And, and so I, I, again, like Federico, uh, I've been using the iPad like up and walking around the house. So like taking it into the kitchen, if I'm cooking lunch for myself and, you know, listening to something or even taking notes on something just as I do other things. And the 12.9, I felt, again, this is all personal subjective stuff, um, really wasn't as portable as I, as I wanted. But what I, what I still credit to the 12.9 and what I still believe today is that the iPad Pro is a great machine for getting certain types of work done. And and for me, that's different from you, Mike, and that's different from what Federico wants. But for me, it sort of took took over this set of tasks. Um, The 9.7 is still plenty good for. Um, In some ways, this is, I think, a very worthwhile experiment that if I had never used the 12.9, I don't think I ever would have had the realization that I could do work on a tablet comfortably and and a lot of that's the 12.9 inch screen but what I really think is so much of that is just the split screen and slide over stuff I spoke about this on Mac Power Users when I was on their show a couple weeks ago about doing you know research for history article and having YouTube up and then having notes up and then swapping YouTube out for one writer and being able to work and have my notes always visible all that's still possible on the 9.7 now it's smaller and 
the smart keyboard is like a super big necessity because multitasking with a software keyboard up is hilariously not good. I mean, you, you know, your slide over app or your, you know, your app on the side is very small at that point, but uh, I'm still working on it and I'm using the smart keyboard and I'm still writing on it. But the, the benefit is, is that I am much more likely to pick it up and take it, take it with me. And, you know, I carry a 15 inch MacBook Pro, as some listeners may know. And the, the 12.9 iPad, obviously nowhere close to the size or the weight of the 15 inch, but the, the 9.7 is just so, so drastically smaller than my MacBook Pro that I, I am encouraging, it is encouraging to just take the iPad with me and leave the Mac behind. And so hopefully I answered your question. Um, I'm still doing the work. I'm still, I still believe in that work. I still think that the 12.9 taught me that, but I think those lessons, at least for what I'm doing, are still applicable on the smaller size. So you're not finding that it had anything really to do with the 12.9 inch iPad, like from a physical perspective to allow you to do the work that you wanted to do on the iPad. It was maybe some of the advancements that came with multitasking and then a device that could convince you to do it that has now allowed you to carry the syncing on into the smaller iPad as well. I think that, yeah, I think you just said what I tried saying okay. <laughs> in a much more concise way. <laughs> It's it's just it's really interesting, right? Because I agree mostly with mm-hmm. what you're saying. Um, because I am able to do the majority, if not all, of the work that I do on any iPad on any iPad, right? Like right. I'm able to take the nine seven and do the work that I would do on the twelve nine, but it's just a little bit more cramped. But it's mm-hmm. perfectly uh, functional, especially with an external keyboard for me, because makes the split screen more useful with the smaller device because the keyboard isn't covering the screen up. Um, But it's, for me, I'm still picking up the 12.9 to do serious things in Mm -hmm. because I like to do that. It's just very, uh, I don't know, it just continues the ongoing struggles you have with devices I feel like more than anybody that I know, you buy and return and buy and return so much stuff. Quiet. I feel like I'm in the opposite situation as Steven. Uh, okay. So, you know, I, I bought a small iPad Pro when I was in San Francisco, and I used it for for a while to get an idea of iOS 10. Uh, but since I, I put uh, iOS 10 Beta 3 on my big iPad Pro, which is where I get all of my writing work done... Um, I haven't picked up the the small pro at all, even hmm. in those situations where before I said, yeah, it's nice to be able to have a smaller iPad, but it's just um, I, I, as I feared. I think the context switching for me doesn't really work, hmm. so it's nice to have a small iPad, but I think it, it'll go to Sylvia real soon. Because I've gotta say, I am really not enjoying Post One Hundred connected. Every I'm wrong about everything. This I'm is not good. sorry, Mike. It's just a slow realization that people are not you. Hmm. You know, everyone. It would be way nicer if everyone was just like me. Um, so, do you, you're not finding yourself wanting to use the 9.7 inch to like read Twitter mm-hmm. with and stuff? Like, is that just not more comfortable for you? No, because I'm either I'm either sitting down or you know being on the couch or in bed with the with the big iPad Pro. Or I'm using the six, the the iPhone, the 6X Plus. Um, 
Mm. And uh, and I think it, it's the the small iPad. It's a really nice device, and every time I pick it up, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's it's a small iPad and it's lighter, but it's just you know I'm I'm so used to to proper multitasking on the 12.9, <laughs> and I'm using it all the time. And then I have the iPhone, so I have this other iPad, and I'm like, it's nice, but do I really need it? I mean, I needed it for a month when I needed to test the iOS 10 beta, but what about now? I got the beta on my, on my iPad Pro. There's more iPad stuff for the big iPad Pro than the small one in iOS 10. So do I really need it? I don't know. That's the situation that I'm currently in. Stephen, are you continuing to use a keyboard with the 9.7-inch? I am. I'm using the smart keyboard, which is not as good as the 12.9, but it is perfectly usable um i have found like the other day like the eyesight article i published last week i wrote on the ipad and i used a you know the aluminum magic keyboard for that so longer form stuff i will grab the magic keyboard i just it's a little bit more comfortable but the smart keyboard is is perfectly usable it 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 has all the benefits of the big smart keyboard. Mike, you've talked a lot about this, that you just always have a keyboard with your iPad. You don't have to like go get it or forget that it's charged or like you left it in your other bag. It's just because it's always literally attached to it, you always have it. And um, and that's still really great on the little one. It's what I have on there. I don't have a regular smart cover for it. The keyboard is always attached. Um, and uh, I, I do like the software keyboard better on the 12.9 inch. I'm not sure I'm in the majority of that i think a lot of people don't like it but um but i really do like it on the bigger one and so it's uh a little bit of an adjustment there but um yeah using a keyboard and uh doing the writing thing and um going going from there so uh on upgrade this week we spoke about the razor mechanical keyboard because jason got one and effectively no bueno <laughs> yeah it's, it's I, the answer I, I, <laughs> Yeah, I listened to that yesterday, um, and if I, Mike, I texted you, I was using my iPad Pro in the car uh, to listen to podcasts for uh, a, a series of coincidences, but um, yeah, it seems like that thing's uh, not really all that all that great, and um, yeah, it's fine. Uh, Bluetooth is really good on iOS these days, and I, mean, I have a Magic Keyboard that is dedicated to the iPad, and so it's just in my in my drawer in my desk, and as that way, I'm not having like pair it between the computer and the iPad and yeah. dealing with that. But um, it's nice to have options. It just seems that the where the razor fails is that when you put the iPad Pro in the case and have the keyboard with it, it's heavier than a MacBook Pro. <laughs> and I know what they're trying to do. I good. appreciate what they're trying to do, but I think that is not good. Like that's that's not a, a good end result. Is not a device which is as he- heavier than a laptop. Mm-hmm. I think you're kind of defeating the object. Um, oh, yeah. I would still love to see more happen in the keyboard space for the iPad. Um, I'm oh. happy that you've finally settled on a on a iPad for you, even though I think uh, that you're both making the wrong decision. But it looks like the law of averages is going against me on this one. Yeah, mm. and I, I think that... Um... I think that overall, the 9.7-inch iPad Pro is probably like the default iPad for a lot of people. That the the big one is really useful for people like like you guys who are doing a substantial amount of your work on it. But for people like me who are only doing some of their work on it, or maybe even just using it for like media stuff, 
um, that size, like there's a reason Apple started with that size. And I think that if Apple had released the 9.7 and the 12.9 inch iPad Pro at the same time, I'm not sure I would have ever tried the 12.9. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's you can't. It's hard to say in hindsight. But the, the 12.9 iPad Pro came out first. I think made you know put a bunch of people in a situation where they were willing to experiment with. It. I know Marco Arment went through this as well. He he used the 12.9, didn't like it, but really likes the 9.7. And so I think there is a, that weird cycle of the iPad that we talked about played in favor of the 12.9 for a lot of people. But um, it, it'll be interesting to see moving forward how that how that pans out. I definitely see 12.9 inch iPads. I saw one just the other day at a coffee shop. Someone was, was using one, but I don't know overall if it's ever going to become like the most popular version. I think that 9.7 is a really good size. It's a really good iPad. Um, and I think that, you know, people, it's good to have options, but I think people will kind of stay in that, that size range more. Uh, last week, we were talking about Apple and data uh, mm-hmm. in iOS 10. And there was another part of this puzzle that we didn't get to, which is photo data and how Apple is dealing with photos in iOS 10. So kind of for to kind of put this in a little bit of context here, the idea of looking at faces understanding what face looks like, looking at a horse, looking at a mountain, knowing what horses and mountains look like. This stuff (laughs) has to come from somewhere. Like Apple has to train a system that can get better and can detect this stuff. Now, what with where we are right now, if we look at Google, for example, Google has incredible amounts of data about photos because they own and run Google Image Search. And I'm sure that over the years as they've been running Google Images and refining their searches and building up metadata, they are sitting on a bank of incredible data of stuff that looks like something, right? They know it's their data, Mm -hmm. right? And also, I'm sure, um, I mean, and I don't know the full privacy stuff in this, but when you upload your photos to Google Photos, it's helping to further train that system, Um, I don't believe that it's tagging Mike Hurley has a photo of Stephen Hackett and they have piles (laughs) of cash in front of them and that's being saved on Google. If it was, I wouldn't want people to see that picture, right? Uh, And I, you know, that's being uploaded to a server somewhere. I don't think they're doing that, but I think they are understanding like two guys, wear glasses, cash table. They're like, <laughs> understand that, and that photo helps to further categorize that. They like, I assume that they're like picking out key elements so they can try and draw what that thing looks like. I mean, I, I'm sure there are lots of scientific and smart ways to explain this, but that's the way that my brain thinks of this stuff through. Now, Apple has no starting position of their own, mm-hmm. right? There is no Apple image search, so they have no data that it already exists that can help them with this. Mm -hmm. And then furthermore, based on what Apple is saying that they are doing, I can't imagine that they are doing that analysis on images and then sending that somewhere where it's saved. Like, I don't imagine that they're looking at mine and looking at Federico's and looking at Steven's photos, working out what's there and then uploading that data, right? Am I right in thinking that, Federico? I feel like it's important to establish this. Yeah, I feel I feel like that's obvious. That's a given, uh, especially when you consider what Apple has said about 
uh, differential privacy and what they're doing, you know, with on-device analysis of pictures. And when you consider the opposite of what Google is doing, uh, not only do they run Google search, but uh, Google image search, but they can also analyze what people prioritize. So when you use Google image search indirectly, or maybe you don't know, but you're making a direct contribution to training the algorithm. So if you search mm-hmm. for pineapple and you click on the pictures that, according to your opinion, best represent a pineapple, you're training the Google algorithm, you know, the intelligence, to be able to say, okay, X number of users have said that this is a correct picture of a pineapple. Therefore, we should train our algorithm to decode more pineapple images like this. And not only that, but even when you use CAPTCHAs on Google to authenticate yourself and say, I'm not a robot, and they ask you with the modern CAPTCHAs to start... For example, two days ago, I got a Google CAPTCHA saying, um, pick, uh, choose three pictures of construction... Uh, equipment and there were like uh, a bunch of different types of vehicles and sure there were a few construction ones and I picked them and I can only imagine Google is using this data so on the surface I'm trying to say I'm not a robot please choose me because see I can pick pictures of construction equipment but under the hood in fact I'm training the Google algorithm to better understand what is going on and I believe that's why Google photo search is so accurate and so amazing on the other hand Apple is not doing any of this. They don't have Apple image search. They maybe have stuff like Siri when you ask for pictures of horses and they show you snippets from Bing. And maybe they could look at what users tap in Siri, but I I don't think they are. And so it begs the question, where is this data coming from in iOS 10? How do you know uh what's a what's a tree? What's uh you know, what's a boat, what's a beach, what's a you know, what's a Pizza, for example. Where does this data come from? And we can only infer that Apple is doing some kind of partnerships, some kind of collaboration with other data sets that don't come from users because they must... So let's establish that there's must, there must be a data set that comes from somewhere. And let's establish that if you leave the users aside, that leaves either employees of Apple who you know collaborate by sort of crowdsourcing their own pictures or it comes from third-party companies. That's the only... I'm not trying to be a genius here. It's the only options left. So <laughs> if we can Or infer- they have actually created a computer that can look at images and... Uh, you know, it's a brain. Then again, can you create a brain, Mike? No. Really? I mean, but like that's <laughs> the, the only other option is they have a machine that can do it, but that doesn't... I mean, we will just naturally assume that they have not done that because I think mm-hmm. even Apple, as secret as they are, would probably <laughs> want to tell the world that exactly. they've created a computer that can think all by its own. We have created a, a robot that can go out in the real world and order pizzas and ride horses. Mm-hmm. That, so that leaves the two simplest explanations, which would be Apple as a set of internal images or Apple has bought images from someone else. And uh, I, I believe... It's two options that make sense, right? It's a company that has the, the money to go out, you know, for like any kind of image provider and say, look, we want to we want to look at like 3 billion images and we want to be able to look at the tags that you use to describe those images. And we want to be able to buy this database and use it and train our algorithm for now because we have no knowledge of what a horse is. As sad as that sounds, you know, how can you not know what a horse is? Technology is a bit different than emotions in that sense. So you must be looking at a database and tags and, and image data uh, to understand what is going on. And that also explains why in photos in iOS 10, 
there's a, a certain limitation of the categories of content that you can look for. I saw someone had, I, I have no idea how they did it, but there's like 4,000 entries, like possible combinations of keywords that you can put in the search field and, and return images from. And, you know, it, it's, it seems to me when you consider the two simplest explanation or the Occam's razor as the, 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 you know, if you look it up on Google, you will see what it means. Uh, if you consider the simplest explanation of what is going on, and if you consider Apple's money, and if you look at the implementation in iOS 10, that's the only two uh, conclusions I can reach. There must be some people inside Apple providing their own photos, and Apple must be buying photos from someone else who is not, you know, the user base. Makes sense. I wonder how well it will work for, you know, uh, real-life situations of people who are not, you know, I don't run a, a stock image database or i just go out in the world and take pictures of pasta and, and beaches but uh we'll see i mean for now it works okay it works all right it's not as amazing or jaw-dropping as google search uh google photos i mean um and it's not flexible of course you cannot search for emoji for example um and i wonder how well you know the the, the privacy conscious approach of apple would sync and, you know, not wanting to store user data in the cloud will work over time. For example, let's say that I, uh, now I have my iPhone 6S, it's doing a bunch of data analysis with the computer vision, whatever it's the name, and they're looking at faces, they're looking at my, my, my you know, stories inside of my photos, so they know that there's a few restaurants, a few, uh, you know, pictures of the, of the sea, but what happens when I sell my iPhone and I get a new one? Do they sync with, with iCloud? Right now, Apple is saying the current beta of iOS 10 doesn't sync your face data uh, across devices. Uh, so maybe that sounds like face sync will come eventually. Uh, and my understanding is, uh, as far as the, you know, the scene recognition goes, or the object recognition goes, uh, when you buy a new iPhone, you will start from zero. And as soon as you, you know, charge your iPhone overnight, leave it plugged and, and connected to Wi-Fi, uh, it'll do its own processing and you will end up recreating the same scenes and the same object recognition, but you will start from zero again because Apple is not storing any, uh, you know, this metadata about you in your iCloud account. What do you reckon the success rate of that rescanning is? <sighs> reckon it's 100%? Because this is what I'm thinking, right? Like I imagine I knew I could search for X image. I got a new phone and I can't find it anymore. It can't be 100%, right? I mean, maybe it's so good the likelihood of you ever hitting that problem is so slim, right? But if it's analyzing every image every single time, I wonder if it would get every single thing in it correct every single time, if it, if you keep doing it device to device. I do want to read very quickly, uh, underscore in the chat room, put a quote in from Craig Federighi uh, from the talk show live. So this was about kind of where the data comes from. And he said, the other thing is, there's this idea that, well, if you don't have the data, how would you ever learn? Well, turns out, if you want to get pictures of mountains, you don't need to get it out of people's personal photo libraries. Like, we found out that we could find some pictures of some mountains. Yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> did. <laughs> I mean, that, that it, again, follows the theory that if you leave the users out of the equation, it leaves either Apple people or co other companies. Uh, and I mean, there's a, not, not necessarily you need to go to, you know, uh, like uh, something like Shutterstock or Getty Images 
and say, look, we have a lot of money. We want to buy all of your pictures. Uh, you can go to any kind of you know public library sort of database and look at public photos, you know, public domain stuff. Uh, I'm sure Apple has internal databases of pictures that used over the years for like stuff like um, iPhoto demos or iPhoto marketing materials, you know, those kind of pictures. In fact, funny story, I once got an email from someone who knew a family who uh, had this sort of contract with Apple to provide pictures of their kids and their dog uh, for the iPhoto team. And I was very sad when this person emailed me a few weeks ago to tell me that the dog passed away. Uh, but it's definitely like a real thing to to provide photos to Apple of your own vacations. Uh, it's basically like you're, don't want to say an actor, but you're uh, shooting pictures and taking videos for Apple to provide them with this data to use on the website, in keynotes, you know, stuff like that. So Apple has its own set of images, either from this sort of marketing purposes or from employees and then they can go out to other companies public domain you know uh, organizations and look at that data and sure you don't need to look at you know private pictures from mike and it's his piles of cash uh you can look at piles of cash from other people i guess like you not really but in theory yes how does apple make their algorithm better and how does my phone get that data? Exactly. So this is a discussion we were having, me and you and I think Gray, uh, at WWDC. So we were talking, what if a new object is created in the world, a, a human-made object, and Apple doesn't have this information? A good way to... We were, we were going back and forward on this quickly. A good way to think of this is, imagine the PlayStation 5. Yes. Right, like we're not talking about the creation of a new plant, but mm-hmm. something that will be iconic immediately, and people will know what it looks like. You know, like let's right. say you take a picture of the one that you just bought, and you want to find it. So I just wanted to put that because this is something when we were talking about this, me and you, we went back and forward on this. Like, what does that look like? But imagine a new product that is for sale, right? As a new thing created by man. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, so Google, of course, has an advantage because they can, you know, look at data from websites, index it in Google search, provide those image results in Google image search, and as soon as people click on those image results, say from the PlayStation 5, they can know, okay, this is a product called PlayStation 5. And in Google Photos, you should be able to search for, you know, uh, PlayStation 5 and your picture comes up. Apple has no, you know, web engine to look at data from websites and say, okay, there's pictures of this new product. Now let's bring it back into photos. Uh, it's it's different, right? And it would uh, to do, to do this kind of quick update to the algorithm. It would require Apple to have these databases be constantly updated with new information. And again, it's not impossible because if you go to, you know, when there's any public event, you're going to find photos on Getty Images uh, really quickly after the event Uh, because they have, you know, photographers going to these events and taking pictures. And I assume, you know, uh, this also works for marketing materials. Um, I mean, you could probably have a deal with uh, companies like Business Wire, 
you know, companies that uh, publish uh, press releases that often include text and uh, photos of new product and new product announcements, you could probably make a deal with those companies and say, okay, every time a new company announces a new product, we want access to that text and that picture in a data database-like object, and we want to analyze that. It's not impossible, especially when you have a lot of money. When you have a lot of money, you can buy a lot of stuff. This seems functionally more complex. <laughs> yes, it's very co- very convoluted way to approach, you know, uh, image analysis, I think. Uh, but it yeah. also, you know, on the other hand, it's a very, uh, you know, respectful way maybe to 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 say, look, we want to give you the utility of searching for your photos, but we don't want to look at your photos. And I feel like a lot of people, including me from a certain perspective, they're comfortable knowing that Apple generally cares about not looking at your stuff individually uh, to improve an algorithm that benefits everyone. Well, I really think it's just a, a, a personal opinion thing because, I mean, I yes. don't think that there's a Google engineer looking at my pictures. No, it's there's just, n- it's just a different computer. It's just somewhere else. It's just you're, you're playing on principle here, yeah. right? And everybody is entitled to feel the way that they want to feel, and it's really nice that Apple is providing a choice to the people that don't ever want that data to leave their devices. Like, it's definitely good for that. I do feel, though, that you're making a trade-off, and some of the trade-offs will come in the functionality because I just can, I just personally cannot conceive of a world where Apple's stuff could ever be as good as Google's. I'm not saying it though it even needs to be. There is a, there is a level of good enough. I don't know what that level is. Um, but there is a level of good enough, Mm -hmm. but I, 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 my brief, uh, experiences with photos so far, it's not good enough. Mm, So one, one of the places that I've found some serious issues with is faces, the face (laughs) recognition stuff. It's not very good right now. So I'll give you an example of why I think it's not very good. It picked out pictures of Adina and put them into multiple different people. Yes. The one that I th- found the most ridiculous was eyes open, eyes closed. Mm-hmm. If a picture of Adina of her eyes closed, like say we were out in the sun, and I took a picture of her and she was like squinting, it couldn't recognize that they were the same person. And that folder was just about 12 pictures of her of her eyes closed. So it mm-hmm. just couldn't match that they were the same people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, I'm sure that the reason is like because the way that facial recognition works is to pick out those key elements on a face, which is like nose, eyes, and mouth and, and stuff. But it really feels like an advanced facial recognition engine should be able to detect between eyes open, eyes closed. And from I just the think same person. from yeah. the same person. And I just think that that is not that is not sufficient right i just so i'm i'm opening i'm opening google right now and i can only see one entry for adina so it either means there are many 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 photos of her that it's not picking out and it's just not showing me them or they it's getting them yet. right no I, all my photos are in google photos Oh, okay. Right. Okay. And I've just found one of the images with her eyes closed that I remember Apple was picking out because I remember when it was from. And it's in the field for who Edina is. So mm. it is at least doing that. You know, and the other thing, like I'm looking at when I was looking at my photo library on my iPad, there are so many 
entries for the same person. And yes. the way that you merge them is infuriating. <laughs> you have to go in every time. So I will name Federico. And it pulls up from my contacts. I like that. It's like, great. You know who that person is, Federico. I go to the next one. I have to type it in again. Type in Federico. Click it. It's like, would you like to merge? Okay, merge. Yeah. Now go to, to number three, Federico. Like, I'm not going to do that. And do you know why mm. I'm really not going to do it? Because I have to do that on every device that I own. Yeah. Because they don't sync yet. That's that the is problem. like unacceptable wi-fi sync just do wi-fi sync or something like i have i mean i i know that i'm an edge case because i have like three or four ios devices <laughs> but then i've also got my mac right mm. so let's say many people will have three or two you don't want to go and do that on every single device and then is it useful then like because i'm now not gonna ever use the faces in icloud because it it's not gonna be complete the information isn't going to be complete. I, I just, I, I'm not happy with it. And, and also, like, the places view, um, all it has for me so far, and I've had it chewing on my photo database for, you know, on, on my iPad Air 2 since the first beta, and I put um, I put it on my iPad Pro, the 12.9, a couple of days ago when the third beta came out. So it's had enough time to look at my, my memories, as it were, but all it has oh, I just opened my iPad, and because I hadn't done it on this iPad, it now won't show me. But I looked at it, because I have to rebuild the database again. But yesterday, I looked at it, and all it had was my one trip to New York last mm. year. Mm. Yeah, yeah. mine's been on my iPad since beta 2, and it's there's only a couple of memories built there. And compared to Google Photos, which does I just opened Google Photos as well, and it's showing me stuff from like two, three, four, five, and six years ago today. It's showing me a trip. It's showing me all this stuff. They do so much better. And it's really, I mean, it's really night and day. And I, mm. I, I see what you say, Mike, about there may be a good enough because I think that Google Photos is sort of a nerdy product. So like, I don't know how mainstream it is. I know it's sort of baked into Android. So maybe a lot of people are using it, but it doesn't seem like it is as well known, at least to our community. As, as photos is of course and it, it's kind of a shame because google photos is a really good job i i back up google photos a for a backup but b really for this memory stuff because yeah it's so i do good. it for search stuff only like yeah. i have a bunch of duplicates in there because i set it up kind of wonky like if i look at it on my phone it's pulling from a database but also trying to use my phone but i don't think yeah. that but i i purely use it for the memory stuff because it's nice um, and for searching of images, and it does a great job of that. But like, I just looked at my iPad then, and there were two different memory albums for my one trip to New York. One of them that was in London, and one of them that was in Romania. And when I look at Google Photos, I have endless lists of every single time I've ever left the country, ever mm -hmm. left from home. Like, I've got stuff going back to 2011 in here. And they're, like, just the ones that I've decided to save because what Google does, which I like, is they're like, hey, we've recognized that this might be a thing that you did. Would you like to save this? So it does that, right? Um, but they're the ones that I've chosen to save. But I feel like the Apple memory stuff, is it's not picking up, like any of my WWDC trips that I take every single year. Mm. like, and, and I don't know if, like, am I still multiple weeks away from it completing the search of my images? I so I, I think I'm doing a lot better than you guys. So, I, so, one, so <laughs> one, one thing that might be about that is I have optimized storage on my devices. Me too. 
Me too. Okay, but that just made me think. Like, what happens to the images that are not downloaded? Are they checked? They have said <sighs> that they use the thumbnail data. That okay. that's enough. Yeah. I think that's was in a in a uh, maybe the State of the Union. Okay. Someone underscore probably knows, but I believe they've said that the thumbnail is enough data for them to to do mm-hmm. their process. So I'm looking at my memories right now, and iOS created the fir- so I put beta one on my phone uh, as soon as it came out. As soon as I was back in Italy, actually. So I was back in Italy on June 19th, and the first set of memories was on June 20. Three memories. And I'm scrolling through, and basically iOS, I would say, created uh, four to five memories each week. So I got the latest one today. Uh, Actually, two, two new memories today, one yesterday, another earlier in the week. Uh, so I would say, yeah, about four or five memory, new memories every week. And they're kind of nice, you know? Uh, it does a good job at creating memories for locations, for stuff like uh, weekends. I see what it's doing, and I don't people. like this implementation. It's, it's just giving me random things on different days, right? Yes. See, I don't think that makes sense. So what I know is there's going to be some fixed type of memories. So there's an uh, on this day one that is often created, but not every day. Uh, there's also a um, birthday memory that's all about you that will be placed in the memories view on your birthday. Uh, I have a to-do to check on, on my birthday if it comes up. And <laughs> um, yeah, that, that I think are the two regular ones. All right, Other, so otherwise I'm clicking it creates... through this now, and I think that basically my issue now is not the data, it's the UI. Because if I click into a memory, one of the memories that it's given me, I get related memories yes. that I haven't seen before. Yep. And so, but why is it... I don't understand. Why do I only get access to, like, one of them every day if the device is done? So them? maybe the memories that you see in the main screen are, like, highlights from your memories. But it's, like, and picking wh- out completely random things. Like, it's not showing me, like, this time last year. Like, it's showing me from saturday stuff that happened in Jul- in like november 2015 i don't know how it works i i will try to, right. to confirm so i'm now going to change my complaint to a ui complaint because i'm like i can see oh here's my march 2016 trip to texas but to get that i had to click into two different memories and go to related like if you're doing this why can't i just see it all yeah i mean google puts it all in line yeah so it's just a list chronologically of all the memories that I have. I do like yeah. the places view, though. I will say that at least. That's, that's one good thing that I have to say. I'm happy the places view is there. Seeing my photos on a map it tends to be a good thing that I like. <sighs> yeah, there's a lot of information that gets hidden by, by the Photos app, and you need to click through into the re- related stuff. Mm. Um, I, I, am, I think I'm a fan of photos. It's not, so my idea is... We just talked about, you know, on Remaster, uh, we talked about Pokemon Go, and um, you made a point of, you know, it's not a it's not a really advanced Pokemon game in the sense that you cannot do a lot of the more complex Pokemon stuff with evolutions and, you know, customization, but it's good enough for a lot of people to get into. And I think it, you can draw a comparison with what Apple is doing with photos. It's not as advanced as what Google Photos can do, but maybe it's good enough for a lot of people to get started on it, to not get, you know, the impression that Apple is being creepy, just being useful in very in a very small dosage. 
you know that's maybe apple is going for yeah i think there's still some work that needs to be done uh i mean okay maybe maybe what i thought about the places stuff isn't as bad as i thought right like there, there is stuff that's happening it's just not being shown to me but the things like with not being able to sync this stuff from device to device i think makes it worse especially with the faces stuff um you know for me i just can't i can't help but compare this to google photos because i find that implementation to work really well uh i know that it's it's like effectively a different product right because of the way that the data is being found like they're so fundamentally different but unfortunately they position themselves or apple has positioned icloud photos to be like Google Photos, right? Like they've given you all the features. So for me, I, like, I can't help but compare them because it's the same data that I have going in, but it's completely different results coming out the other end. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, the, the the interface can still be fixed by the final release. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it'll change a lot because Beta 3 is still the same, so it's kind of an indication that it's staying, you know, as it is right now. Uh, and I think it could be clarified you know, especially the need to tap through to see related memories and like there's no, it's basically just a vertical list of random memories. There's no, you know, schedule, let's say, of memories. There's no, uh, you know, it's it's basically meant to be like a, a daily or almost daily surprise. You open photos and you see a new memory. And from a, you know, a serendipity point of view, I maybe can buy the argument of being surprised every day and seeing like a random memory show up because if it becomes fixed and more precise, maybe it becomes boring. Whereas maybe Apple wants to go for, you know, the surprise effect of taking this random weekend from two years ago and bringing it back to you. And I can imagine the random person being, oh, yeah, I forgot about their Saturday when I got so drunk, people took pictures of me on the ground. But, you know, not everyone gets drunk and gets pictures taken from other people. Uh, and maybe some more better organization could be needed. I don't know. You, you know what I'm saying, Mike? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I'm interested to see, as I say, how it goes like you did. Uh it, the fact that, as you say, Federico, the, the UI hasn't changed probably means the UI won't fundamentally mm-hmm. change. Uh, and I, I, just, I wonder about how scalable this is. Like, it just feels like Apple is ton is throwing like a ton of money at this problem. If if what you believe and, and I am inclined to believe your thinking on this is true, that they're just buying photos. Like, at what point does it just become? Um, what's more likely? That Apple is buying photos or, or that they've created God? They're definitely <laughs> buying photos. <laughs> but, you know, at some point, there has to be some <laughs> realism you know, coming into I play. I know, man. There are some subreddits where people think that Apple do that every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, I, I just feel like at a certain point, you've put so much money into this. I wonder if it's really a competitive advantage. Like, is the privacy really working for you that well? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that, that's that's kind of like that's always the big, the big rock with any of these services from Apple. That it it works the way it does and is engineered the way it is because of the privacy and like that that is a, a fence post that they they were not willing to move. And I commend them for it, even though I use Google services 
every day for personal I'm happy, work I'm stuff. I'm happy someone's doing it. Great. I, I am too, but it. I think what you're getting at is you have to balance that, right? And the privacy stand, as good as it is, and as much as I appreciate it, does mean that something like photos may not be as good as what Google can do because Google can look at your photos directly. And that is a personal choice. You have to decide which service you want to use or be like us and use both. But um, it, it is something to consider that in talking about Apple services and in using them and comparing them to Google or anybody else, that is always what it comes back to. Like iCloud Mail is not as good as Gmail because Gmail can do more things with your messages because they can see more. And that's just, uh, you just have to understand that that's part of the equation. And, you know, would Apple be able to build a better photo app if they could see my photos directly? Probably. Um, But at the same time, that's just not who they are and that's not, you know, what the company's about. And it's just something that we all have to kind of reconcile in choosing a service, the privacy angle and, you know, how, how, what does it work? How much data can it know about me? And, mm-hmm. and what do I gain from that? You know, we spoke a really long time ago on this show about we are willing to give Google data because of the benefit that we get out of it. And that is something that uh, I think we continue, all three of us continue to stand by. And for some people that bar is just different places. Here's a simple final question to ask. Would a, a smarter service, more like Google Photos, help Apple sell more iPhones? Or is a better Photos app with some simple intelligence uh-huh. or moderately advanced intelligence good enough to sell iPhones? You know? I don't know the answer to that question. Because Me neither. I feel like it could be both, and that's not an answer. Mm-hmm. I like yeah, those I types know. of answers. Because Think the thing is, <laughs> both Apple and Google believe they're doing the right thing to sell more devices. That's why it's so difficult. Both of those companies believe that the route that they're taking will help them sell more. Uh, uh, I, I would I would disagree. That I well, I'm, I may be putting words in your mouth, but I don't think Google's primary objective through something like Google Photos is to sell more devices. Google wants to organize the world's information, and well, okay, them under and them understanding what an object is when they see it is important to their overall mission. Now, Google Photos is a great service, and it because of its integration with Android, it, it may help sell. More Android phones? I don't know. Well, let me refine that then. Each company thinks that they're doing the best thing to make the most compelling photo services. There you go. But for Apple, that means more devices because the only way you can use Apple's services is on their devices. And Google just wants as many people as possible in the world to use Google Photos. So -hmm. they both think that they have the best thing to get the most people. It sounds funny, but he has a point. Chris Hanna in in the chat room is saying Google also helps Apple sell devices as well with Google <laughs> <Yep>. Photos. <laughs> so yeah, but point. I don't know if Apple likes that so much, right? Well, it's possible. So you know, it's 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 interesting when you when you think about it because again, uh, we are constantly looking for more features, more advanced, uh, you know, functionalities. But at some point, there's a threshold where the market, which is not the real AFM staff, uh, reacts to good enough in a way that maybe we cannot imagine. And maybe that threshold is met by photos in iOS 10. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are going to be people who see this in iOS 10 and are going to be completely blown away and smitten mm-hmm. with it. And that's great. I mean, I 
I like that it's built in. Uh, I agree with Mike. There's some issues with it still, but it's still a beta. But there are going to be a lot of people who don't know about Google Photos. Set all the privacy stuff aside. They just haven't heard of Google Photos because it's just one service in Google's large portfolio. And this is going to make their experience better. And if Apple ever gets the syncing and metadata working or they're willing to cross that line, it'll make it even better again. And, and that's, that's really, I think, where Apple services in general sort of fall for me. Something like Apple News. A lot of people are going to like it. It has a large user base. Podcast app has a large user base. But there, there will be people, and they happen to be like the three of us and people who listen to these shows, who do want more or, or need more, honestly. And that's where more professional, more robust services exist. But a- Apple is aiming for the mainstream. And, and just because it doesn't meet our needs doesn't mean it's not a good product or a good service. Something like Apple News has lots of users, even though it's not for me. And I think that's an important thing to remember. It's, it's something that's easy to forget when we're just talking in the nerd circle about this service versus that service. Uh, a lot of people just are going to use what's built in. And, and so Apple's focus to make the built-in tools better is where they should be spending their time, honestly. Uh, as much as I would like iCloud email to have a bunch of server-side rules like Gmail does, um, most people just care about the experience of using webmail and they want it to work well and they want it to sync and, and iCloud mail does all that. And and again, they're aiming for the mainstream. And a lot of, uh, I will say, old Mac nerds in, in particular get sort of angsty about that, right? Like there's not a Mac Pro uh, Final Cut Pro 10 isn't any good. Like there, there are people who see Apple moving to the mainstream and don't like it. But the the simple reality is, uh, Apple has done that and it has been hugely successful for the company. And they are going to continue to make products and make services, make cloud services for people in the mainstream. And that's that's a new thing, right? There there are still a lot of people who aren't using any cloud services or very few. And the only ones maybe they are using are the ones that are sort of like baked into iOS. So something like iCloud Backup, just a switch, you turn it on, and it may be the only cloud service that someone uses. But because it's built in, because it's from Apple, they feel like they can trust it. And they are making it, you know, making inroads into the the average consumer's habits and lifestyle. And and for so for a lot of people, photos on iOS 10 and on Mac OS Sierra are going to be the first time that they see something like this. And for a lot of people, that'll be all they want. And for some other people, it'll be like reading lists in Instapaper of like, oh, I'd like to save bookmarks for later, but I want a little bit more. And then they go and shop for something else. So I think it's just another example in that that long line of um, of examples. Um, Kyle's the gray in the chat room has uh, pasted an article, a venture article in May, where Google uh, says that you have 200 million monthly active users. So, there are definitely some people, right, that are finding Google Photos, but that point that you make there, Stephen, cannot be discounted. Like, it, it is one of the great things about having it built into a device like this because now people will get something that they didn't know that they wanted. Um, and for those people, a lot of these features will be good enough straight out of the gate, right, because this is their first try into this stuff and they'll just be maybe delighted with the things that they find. Um, but then I think a lot of people will then maybe try and look around to see if anybody else is doing it, um, and that kind of that might end up helping Google. But who knows? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. If you'd like to find our show notes for this week, head on over to relay.fm/connected/101. 
Thanks again to Smile for sponsoring this week's episode. If you'd like to find Federico online, he is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and writes at MaxStories.net. Stephen is at ISMH, and he is at 512pixels.net. And I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.